Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hello, my name is David Lee Summers, and... I thought I would introduce a a section of my novel, Owl Dance, which is the first of my Clockwork Legion steampunk novels. And this is from Chapter 3, which is uh, called The Clockwork Lobo. And it's where we start sort of seeing that this world is not exactly the Old West that we're familiar with. Fatima Karimi and Ramon Morales rode toward Mesilla, New Mexico, on a pleasantly warm and clear spring afternoon. Ramon was atop his horse, and Fatima drove the colorful wagon that held the herbs, roots, and infusions she used in her work as a healer. Just as they got close enough to town to hear the bells of the San Albino Church, they came upon a sign, and the main road veered away from Mesilla itself. Horses aren't allowed on the streets of Mesilla, read Ramon. We have to leave them at the Messiah Park. Weary from the lone ride, Fatima simply nodded and urged her horses forward along the road that led to the liveries and served the largest town in the region. A short time later, they spent more of their precious money than they would have liked stabling their horses and storing Fatima's wagon. Ramon carefully counted the money they had left. I think we may have just enough for four or five nights at a modest hotel or a boarding house. After that, we're going to have to find some more money. Right now, all I want is a bath and soft bed. We'll worry about money tomorrow. In a town the size of Mesilla, I'm sure it'll be easy to find people who will need the services of a curandera. Hopefully, you'll have better luck here than in Socorro. Ramon gathered up his saddlebags and slung a rifle over his shoulder while Fatima packed what she needed into a satchel she wore on her back. Together, they set off toward the center of town. Just try not to anger any of the farmers or ranchers in the area, and we should be fine. I would like to think farmers and ranchers are more in tune with their surroundings than miners who rip minerals from the earth. One would hope, said Ramon. As they walked toward the town square, he looked at the shops and saloons, wondering if he would be able to find work. He looked down a side street and caught sight of the Messia town marshal's office. Ramon knew he would make a good deputy. However, if word of his sudden departure from Socorro had reached this far south, he could find himself inside a cell rather than guarding one. In the end, he decided to stay clear of the marshal's office until he had established himself as a good citizen of Messia. They reached the town square and made their way around it, looking at the businesses and also seeing what lay down the side streets. 
At one corner of the square was a large building called the Corn Exchange Hotel, but it was tucked right between the courthouse and a saloon. Ramon and Fatima looked at each other and decided to continue their search without going inside. A little further on, they spotted a respectable-looking rooming house down one of the side streets. It was a square two-story adobe building with a wooden front porch and a carved sign proclaiming Castillo's, Rooms for Rent. Pots of flowers adorned the porch's railings and a string of drying chilies hung alongside the door. Ramon led the way to the building. As they approached, he noticed a sign tacked to one of the porch's posts, apparently placed there by one of the local ranchers. Five dollars reward for each lobo carcass, it read. The ranchers must be having wolf problems, Ramon said aloud. A flash of teeth, claws, and fur crossed his memory, and he frowned as he subconsciously rubbed old scars on his elbow, hidden by his shirt. That's terrible, Fatima sneered at the sign. It's not the wolves' fault. The cattle are easy prey. Five dollars would get us rooms for another night. It would be another bath, Ramon continued to rub his arm. He inclined his head towards the gun at his back. I'm a pretty fair shot. Maybe I can collect some of that bounty. Fatima's eyes grew wide. How dare you, Ramon? How could you even consider hunting wolves? I could never sleep in a bed that was paid for with such a bounty. Her cheeks were flushed, both from the sun and her rising anger. Ramon took a deep breath and let it out slowly, trying to release the memory of long-ago pain. Suddenly aware he was rubbing his arm, he stopped and held out his hands. I'm sorry, Fatima. I should have known better than to say anything. But he left that last part unspoken. That's right, Ramon Morales. There will be no more talk of hunting wolves. She hitched her satchel more firmly onto her shoulder, then stormed through the door. Ramon sighed, and he took one last look at the poster before he followed her in. Inside the door was a small room with a wooden counter. Behind it, keys were hung on brass hooks. Two green upholstered chairs sat against a wood-paneled wall. Red tile covered the floor. One door led to a dining room, and another led to a sitting room. Ramon thought it looked like a pleasant place to stay, and hoped they would be able to afford even one night in this place. A balding man with a bushy mustache and a blue silk vest appeared at the sitting room door. I'm Castillo. May I help you, senor? Ramon nodded. I hope so. We'd like to rent two rooms. Mr. Castillo smiled and quoted a price. Ramon swallowed hard, but remembered the poster on the porch. We'll take it. Fatima tugged at Ramon's sleeve. We can't afford that for more than two nights, she whispered. I know, but it'll give us a place to stay while we look around. He placed his saddlebags on the counter so he could retrieve money and pay Mr. Castillo. Later, while Fatima soaked in a bath, Ramon went to the sitting room. The room held a couch and four chairs arranged so the occupants could speak to one another. The smell of cigar smoke clung to the chair's upholstery. A piano sat in one corner and there was a fireplace. Mr. Castillo pounded a nail in the wall. He reached down and retrieved a wooden clock. After hanging it, he inserted a key into the hole on the face and wound it. The clock began ticking and the gears within purred gently. Ramon cleared his throat. <clears throat> I was curious. Who posted that sign on the porch? Mr. Castillo turned around. Warren Shedd posted that sign. He owns the San Agustin Ranch up out of Las Cruces. He pointed toward the sheer rocky Oregon Mountains to the northeast. 
He runs cattle all around the base of the mountains, but those lobos come down and snatch the calves. It's a real problem for him. Ramon thanked him for his time and soon afterwards met Fatima for a very good supper of steak and beans prepared by Mrs. Castillo. Tired as she was, Fatima decided to go to bed right after supper. Ramon followed her upstairs and went into his own room. He was tired too, but didn't go to sleep. Instead, he opened his pocket watch and waited for an hour to go by. Ramon quietly slipped out of the room and walked back toward the Mesilla Park in his horse. He rode toward the Oregon Mountains. As the land rose, he found a grove of trees and a small stream that offered a good view of the valley beyond. Cattle grazed in the grass nearby. It seemed a good place to camp and watch for wolves. Ramon found a hidden spot in a ring of rocks just at the edge of the little grove. There, he laid out his bedroll. Opening his rifle, he aimed the barrel toward the moon and checked that there wasn't too much powder buildup, then loaded a shell into the barrel so he'd be ready to fire without delay. He was determined to shoot a wolf, but tired as he was, he fell asleep instead. He dreamed of a time when he was a child running through a field on his way home from school. He saw two wolf pups wrestling with each other in the tall grass. Nearby, a mother wolf watched him. The young Ramon thought they were cute and wondered if he could pet the pups. Remembering his dad's warnings to stay away from the wild animals, he decided he could give them a wide berth. Just then, he felt a sharp pain and heard a loud snap. He woke suddenly and realized the snap was a nearby twig. There was another sound as well, a strange whirring and buzzing, not unlike the soft sounds that came from Mr. Castillo's clock. Slowly, he reached for his rifle and turned toward the grove. The moon was high, and there were deep shadows amongst the trees. His throat was parched, and he wished he had time to take a drink from his canteen. However, he soon spotted movement. A lobo stepped from the shadows and strode confidently toward the cattle down the hill. Ramon tried to swallow, but no saliva would come to his mouth. He thought he detected a flash of movement from behind him and quickly looked around. Not seeing anything amongst the rocks and deep shadows, he turned his attention back to the strange lobo that walked so brazenly in plain sight. Ramon thought a wolf would have been more cautious when stalking prey, but he was glad for its erect stance and slow, steady stride. It was an easy target. He carefully aimed his gun at the wolf. Just as Ramon started to squeeze the trigger, someone pushed the gun. His shot went wide, missing the lobo. Ramon cursed and turned, finding himself facing Fatima's angry glare. What are you doing out here? That animal doesn't deserve to be shot just so you can have a few dollars. It's not about... Ramon shook his head. Fatima would not understand. We really could use the money. He looked down, avoiding her gaze. She sighed. I know, but there are other ways. Ramon looked at the lobo. The gunshot had not spooked it. It strutted through the grove, ignoring its surroundings. It didn't even seem to notice the strange clicking and whirring sounds. Ramon looked around, trying to figure out where they were coming from. When he looked back at the wolf, he saw it was headed straight for a rock. Surely it would turn before it got there, but no, it walked right into the rock, and the most amazing thing happened. There was a bright flash of light accompanied by a loud popping. The top of the wolf's head flew off, and its body toppled over sideways. What the hell? Ramon scrambled out from his hiding place. Fatima followed close behind. 
He reached the wolf and peered inside its head, expecting to find a bloody mess. Instead, its head was almost completely empty and separated into two compartments. At the back of one compartment was a small glass photographic plate. The other compartment held the charred remains of some kind of powder. The wolf's eyes were lenses with black material just behind them. Ramon reached in and felt around, then dragged the wolf's body out into the moonlight where he could see it better. It was much heavier than a wolf would be, as though most of its body was made of metal rather than skin or bones. Fatima looked inside. It's like a camera. Ramon nodded. There's some kind of spring-loaded mechanism that lowers these metal contraptions behind the eyes. He pushed on the rod inside the wolf's head, and sure enough, the metal plates lowered, which would in turn expose the glass plate at the back of the head to light, except that the plate had already been exposed when the top of the head was blown off. But what caused the bright flash of light we saw? Flash powder, said a voice from the trees. Ramon and Fatima looked up as a figure strode into the moonlight. He wore a tailored jacket with matching pants. His vest was red silk, and he wore a cravat around his neck. For a guy out in the woods, he was immaculate. I see you found my lobo. Then he looked closer. Its head blew off again. That's very disappointing. Who are you? asked Fatima. Pardon my ill manners. I am Professor M.K. Maravilla of the Pontifical and Royal University of Mexico. He bowed and kissed Fatima's hand. Fatima stood and dusted off her full black skirt. I am Fatima Karimi, and this is my friend, Ramon Morales. Ramon stood up and extended his hand toward the professor, whose grip was somewhat light for the former sheriff's taste. I thought the Mexican government closed down the university. Ah, oh, but it did, said Maravilla with an air of sadness. He tugged on his elegant trousers as he squatted near the strange wolf with the camera in its head. This is why I had to carry my researches north. I have been studying the Mexican gray wolf, trying to understand its behavior. I have been hoping to photograph wolves in the wild, see what they do see when no people are around. Ramon's eyes narrowed. The word maravilla was Spanish for marvel or wonder. Is maravilla your real name? Maravilla snorted. My name is as real as yours, sir. Then the corner of his mouth turned upward. Although I'll concede it might not be the name I was born with. Under the circumstances, I believe a pseudonym is prudent. Ramon pursed his lips and nodded. So what exactly is this contraption? The professor leaned over and opened a small concealed hatch on the wolf's side. Inside were gears and pistons. This machine is the result of years of work. I had the help of a taxidermist who prepared the skin of a wolf, one that died of natural causes, I might add. He made a point of nodding toward Fatima. The insides were built by a clockmaker and a photographer in Mexico City. Maravilla examined the insides of the strange clockwork lobo for a few minutes, then clapped his hands in delight. Ah, but it has successfully taken some photographs, he pointed to the head. You see, it holds several of these small glass plates. I can set the clockworks in the lobo to take photos at different intervals. Each time the photo is taken, the plate is released into the compartment here, he pointed to the door between the wolf's shoulders. What's the other compartment in the wolf's head, asked Fatima. A most ingenious invention, declared the professor. It is a reusable flash that allows the camera to work in dark places and take short exposures. He shook the head, but as you can see, sometimes too much powder is released and boom! He sighed and then stood. 
What is it you two are doing out here at this late hour? He asked at last. Camping, said Ramon. Trying to find a way to keep the wolves from killing the cattle, said Fatima at almost the same moment. Ah, you're out to shoot lobos and collect the bounty, said Maravilla, a little sadly. No, said Fatima, with a little shake of her head. No, the wolves are only killing cattle because they're easy prey. If we can get the wolves to seek out their natural prey, deer, rabbits, order will be restored and the ranchers won't have need of a bounty. That's possible, said Maravilla, looking up. Maravilla and Fatima moved over to the ring of rocks where Ramon had set up his campsite and continued their conversation. Ramon moved toward the grove of trees and gathered up some twigs and fallen branches. He thought about a wolf's jaws clamping down on his arm when he was a child, about being dragged. As he brought the wood back to the campsite, he saw Fatima and the fancy Professor Maravilla sitting awfully close together. She was gazing into the professor's eyes as their passionate conversation continued about the wolves. Ramon set about building a fire. Once it was going, he made a point of sitting on the other side of Fatima as close as he could, but not so close that she would strike him with her arms as she spoke. It would be wonderful if we could introduce the wolves to their natural prey, said Maravilla. The only problem is, if the wolves can't find easier prey than cattle, how can we? That is easily solved, said Fatima. She looked around the area and then moved a short ways off toward the stump of a tree that had been felled by lightning. She made several short, sharp whistles and then listened quietly. She whistled again. A few minutes later, a burrowing owl flew down and alighted on the tree stump. It chirped and whistled three times, then bowed to Fatima. She returned the almost courtly bow and whistled again. The owl gave several short, sharp chirps. Professor Maravilla watched his mouth agape. He turned to Ramon and whispered, Is she really speaking to that owl? I believe she is, Ramon said almost reverently. She is a truly singular woman, said Professor Maravilla. He straightened his silk vest, then ran his fingers over his petite, immaculately trimmed mustache, pushing any errant hairs in line. The little owl flew off, and Fatima turned back to the men. About two and a half miles from here, there's a rabbit's warren that's getting overpopulated with the spring. The wolves haven't discovered it yet, but I think they could be led there. That would indeed be good prey for the lobos, said Maravilla, standing. He reached out and took Fatima's hand. But tell me, good lady, how do you know this? Did you really speak to that owl? Owls don't speak. They chirp and whistle, said Fatima. She pulled her hands back from Maravilla's, but not before giving it a gentle squeeze. Ramon pursed his lips. She moved closer to the fire and held out her hands, warming them. She looked at Ramon and then looked at Professor Maravilla. Can you repair your clockwork lobo by tomorrow night? If I could have a little assistance in the afternoon, said Maravilla with a slight bow at the waist. He gave Ramon and Fatima directions to his lodgings. Good, said Fatima. We'll see you tomorrow at two. I have a plan. She looked at Ramon. Now help me douse this fire. There are perfectly good beds waiting for us in Messia, and I, for one, am very tired. <laughs> <laughs> the new novel is out the third novel in the clockwork legion series the brazen shark and uh it's uh out available at uh all the online bookstores amazon barnes and noble will soon be at antigone books that's correct we'll be reading it for the tucson steampunk society book club yes. 
Uh, I will be posting that uh, reading date, and you will be joining us for that reading. It should be, be really fun. Yes. Which month will that be? Have it. July, July 10th. July 10th at uh, 3.30 at Antigone. We will mm-hmm. read the book in the month before that. That's The Brazen Shark, which is very exciting. Third installment. Third installment. Fourth one is is in process. Wonderful. Any, any teasers for the fourth one of what the title will be? The title will be Owl Writers. Ooh. <laughs> if you've read the books, you know why that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And if we've... Let me think about what's not a spoiler for, for Jocelyn here. <laughs> so, um, what I can tell you about it is we have we have we learn through the course of the brazen shark that Fatima's past is a little more complicated than we have been led to believe so far. <laughs> Mr. Complicated is about to show up. <laughs> oh. oh, how exciting. So, and this is this is opens up in we, we actually skip ahead a few years and this opens up in New Orleans when Ramon is now practicing law. Oh. Oh very so, cool. So if you can give us a spoiler, can you tell us chronologically how much time has passed from the Brazen Shark? So from the Brazen Shark, this will be about eight years in the future. Oh. So we, we will we will come and see them after he has his, his degree and he has established himself and, and is now, um, and, and in the process, back out in the West, uh, at the end of Lightning Wolves, we might remember that um, Prof- Professor Maravia left his wonderful um, Havelina mining machine out in Apache country, which of course the Apaches have kept and copied and now have oh. a number of these marvelous impenetrable machines <laughs> guarding their land. <laughs> Well, that will change a few things. Yes. Especially for us Southwesterners that know how much fun Havelina are in real life. Right. Well, I'm excited. So this is the direct, that's that's a little hint of the direction things are going to go. Fantastic. Well, I can definitely speak to how wonderful these books are. We've we've read every one of your books um, Mm -hmm. in this series at the Tucson Steampunk Society Book Club. And every time we finish one, everybody asks... When's the next one coming, David? <laughs> and then they look at me, Jocelyn, we are reading the next one for the book club. So David <laughs> and Sherry Priest and Gail Carriger um, share the honor of being the only authors we've reread in three years of the book club. Well, I'm in very good company. I, I, feel, I feel honored to be in that company. So. And thank you very much for bringing us these fantastic books. Well, thank you. Thanks for, for inviting me to read in the podcast. Oh, definitely. And, uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for coming on down to Tucson and reading for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I've kept you from your game, though. As, uh... <laughs> and like always, guys, thank you for okay. listening. <laughs> it's really good books. I have the first two. I'm even. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Do you want me to give an introduction or do you want to? Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay.
<laughs> There's always that one guy when the recording starts. So, hello, my name's David Lee Summers, and...